Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following episode of Bread for the People is brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run virtual bakery that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. Head on over to SideHustleBread.com for more information, upcoming appearances, and merchandise. My name's Jim Serpico, and this... Should I start with my name? Or should I start with this is Bread for the People? Do you like it like this? Welcome to Bread. Or do you like it like this? Welcome. Ready? Welcome to Bread for the People. Mine... Is there a script? Welcome to Bread for the People, I'm Jim Serpico. As some of you may know, I started my life in one journey, and I'm talking about before I went into professional work at anything, uh, in grammar school, junior high school, college, I was a trumpet player. I was a, a very serious trumpet player, I was the son of a musician, and one of my summers, I spent working in a band on a cruise ship in Port Canaveral, Florida. I was trying to figure out, is this something I want to do with my life? And uh, I ended up getting a summer gig. I think I signed a two or a three month contract. I had a very serious girlfriend at the time. And uh, I went down to Port Canaveral. I gave this thing a try. And I fucking hated it. I hated it. I hated being on the boat. You know, it, it is veer, it's not what you would expect. Okay. And, and the boat I was on was pretty small. We did day cruises. And then every two weeks, we went to the Bahamas for four days. And I had a roommate was a Scientologist. He was probably in his 30s. I was 19, 20. Everyone else in the band had already been, had decided they wanted to be pro uh, professional musicians, so they were at different stages in their life. And the bottom line is I was really lonely. I didn't dig the life of living below deck. I am very excited today to have Chef Ryan from Below Deck Down Under as my guest. He's a private chef. He's an amazing chef. You may know him. Some people consider him the villain of the series, but I'm curious to uh, dive deep and, and learn more about Ryan today. Ryan, welcome to the program. For having me, Jim. I appreciate it. Uh, I love your, your work with Thread and everything you're doing. It's pretty cool. But yeah, I'm actually sitting here in the Bahamas. It's pretty funny. Life on the boat can be tough. I, I do have a loved one. She's back home in Miami. It's definitely one of the hardest things for me to do is to leave her. It sucks at the end of the day, but yeah. at the end of the day, the money 
I kind of I kind of live vicariously through these people, and they kind of live vicariously through me. Yeah, Oof. You know, they've been they've been funding my 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 day to day, my future for about last six years, and it's been pretty awesome. So, so <laughs> that that girl I was dating is is actually my wife of uh, going to be thirty years this summer. Well, look at that. Yeah, it was a big. It was a summer part. Now I remember having to submit an audition tape and go through that process. I'm, I I never met anyone who has made a living as a chef on boats. I mean, and this is like it wasn't just a casting thing, right? You actually are a chef on charter boats long before Below Deck, correct? Well, before the show, I've done this in and out. I've built a reputation that's you know, and it works. I have regrets from the show and the way I was portrayed on the show is completely different than you know the way I present myself in real life. Edits come into play. There's a lot of things that go into play, but at the end of the day, I've been doing this, like I said, six, seven years now, and honestly, these people have paid my future. They are investors. They've invested in me. We've opened up business. I just got out of Omaha. I've been in Pittsburgh doing restaurants for clients from the ground up, from the build out, which is what we're working on right now in Omaha. So I can definitely say this, this industry has opened up major doors for me. I was fortunate enough. I kind of grew up in it. I'm a pizza guy by heart, master pizziola by trade. Really? Um, I bless him for that. His, his birthday was yesterday. God bless him. September 11th, 2009. But uh, he was a pizza man his whole life. My mother never worked three boys, private schools, you know, the whole nine, we had everything we wanted. So, uh, he was definitely the ground for my career and what I want to do. But ultimately, I'm going back to pizza. That's awesome. <laughs> Did you, yeah. am I right that you grew up in Philadelphia? Born and bred in Philadelphia. All right. Uh, I'm a Northeast guy. Uh, yeah, pizzerias in the Northeast. Um, spent a bit of time in Bucks County and then had worked in the South Philadelphia area. I was living down out of Center City. And then, uh, you know, the industry's tough. It's tough on you personally, kind of getting introduced to things that aren't really something you want to get involved in. And uh, I had a little rough start for a bit. What do you mean by that? And I picked up and I moved. I mean, yeah, the party, man. I mean, what you're introduced to and what goes along with the industry. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a grind. I mean, Anthony Bourdain kind of gave the best introduction into the industry and what cooks and chefs kind of go through and what their days look like. It's it's long hours. And then get a little bit of time for yourself. And, and that little bit of time for yourself, it could go, it could go either way. And uh, I, I knew it was time for me. I, I could see where my friends were going and roads they were heading. And uh, it just wasn't something I wanted to be a part of. So uh, my girlfriend and I at the time, we picked up. She was from Maine. We got a U-Haul. And uh, yeah, we just, we just trekked it north. And uh, that was really the start on yachting for me, you know, where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And uh, and so in my eyes, I made it. I'm, I'm happy living my life. All right. Enjoying everything. <laughs> That's amazing. And I want to dive into that. But I haven't explored the partying side of this business yet uh, on this podcast. And I would like to do so if possible. Yeah, for sure. You know, like I do, I have talked to guys on the podcast that, you know, realized they were drinking too much. And I guess like in every business, you know, when you work so intensely, even for me, man, like no matter what I'm doing, I'm pretty intense about it. And I work long hours, right? I love to kick back alone 
and drink beer alone too often. In fact, uh, I just got a case of Guinness Zero to try to <laughs> chill that back a little, which is pretty good. So I could see how that could happen. But is there anything more to it than that? Is it, is it, is it the culture and the bonding experience with other people? It's, it's the bonding, it's the culture, it's everybody you're around. It kind of just, it becomes one. I mean, cold plates in the walk-in, like chalked up lines, like cocaine's huge in the restaurant industry. I mean, it's, it, it's a, it was a full-blown party. No shit. And, and it's, dude, we're on the lines, like we would have shot a clock, like bartender, chefs, everybody. This is South Philadelphia. We would literally stop what we're doing, whack shots, I mean. God bless his soul, you know, a chef friend of mine, OD in the bathroom. I mean, but uh, chalking up lines in the walk-ins and <laughs> the industry's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of restaurant was that? Was that a pizza joint or was that a higher-end restaurant? It was a pizzeria per se, but um, I've been in high-end restaurants and it's all the same. I don't think it matters what, you know, what you're doing or what restaurant you're at. It's there opiate pandemic in philly is at its highest it's ever been percocets i called them percocets <laughs> i i did uh but i was fortunate enough to always have a little bit of money in my bank account where you know i could afford what i was doing and it only becomes a problem when per se you can't afford it uh but dude it's a shitty industry would you say that uh you know it seems to me like the head chef you know that there's a reason people call him chef or her right um there is a there's a hierarchy for a good reason there needs to be organization there needs to be somebody calling the shots now what yeah so so what's up with that with the drugs like does it start at the top is this person like made it known i'm not saying to call out anyone in particular but no, i'm saying in general no, does the does the head chef make it clear that this is this is the way we do things here or is it happening behind that person's back i was partying with the chefs you know when i wasn't when i wasn't that person um, it's definitely introduced it's fair it's open and uh yeah i mean it, it's a grind in the industry and we're always looking for a release or an escape. And unfortunately we find it within drugs and alcohol. Wow. Um, you think that's, it is, you think it's still going on today? All, for sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, it's a shit industry. Like I said, low play, low pay. It's everybody wants to release. I mean, in Philly, we relied on a lot of after hours bars like pen and pencil, which was basically an industry bar. So it was open late night after hours. And how did you get in? You got in with a pay stub. Really? That you worked in. The, that was that was your entry into pen and pencil. So what? That they knew and, you uh, worked in the industry? Yeah, basically. I mean, who else is going out after busting your ass for a 12-hour shift? Who's, who's going out to drink for four hours without something helping them? Right. And it's just not something that, you know, I wanted to keep seeing myself do. I've definitely had some issues afterwards. But I've, I've always overcome, and, uh, you know, I'm in a great place right now. That's awesome. Have you seen the FX series uh, The Bear? The Bear? I love The Bear. So I've been blowing up a few people, obviously, after the show, trying to get a cameo or something on that show. Uh, I love it. It's, it's definitely the grind, the attitude that happens in that style of an establishment. I love it, too. 
Um, it, it's, it's a fast paced business there. It's, it's not, I've been, I've been there. That's Mr. Beef in Chicago. It is titled Mr. Beef. That is the location. It's definitely my favorite beef sandwich in Chicago, but that is the grind, man. It's, it's messy. It's long hours and it's shit pay. Why are so many people, including me, right? I've been in the TV business for a long time. I've had some success. I've made a certain amount of money. And now here I am, <laughs> like, busting my ass, working for shit money. And maybe it's a little easier for me to an extent. I Listen, I got to work. I still have to work. But yeah, I have choices on where I could work, probably. I probably don't have to do what I'm doing. You know what I mean? I could probably get a high paying job somewhere. And what you just said there, not everybody can. A lot of the people in this industry are undereducated and, you know, cannot cannot move forward in life with a higher paying job. They're kind of they're kind of sucked in and stuck in the restaurant world. And, you know, for some people, there's great restaurants out there that you can make a killing. You know, there's some top notch restaurants where you can barely get reservations at that run as a pool house. And, you know, these kids are walking with four or five, six hundred bucks a night. So there's definitely money to be made. But yeah. for the back of house, it's probably as far as they could excel in life, and you know, without really applying themselves. And they're OK with it. They accepted it. That's what they do. And, uh, you know, for me, I always wanted more. I always wanted more. Uh, I had a lifestyle with my father. Uh, we'd get up in the morning. Hey, you want to come to work? Hey, you want to go to the golf course? I go and caddy for the bookie loop, a bunch of degenerate big gamblers, warriors, mafioso, whatever you want to call them, criminals to an extent. But uh, it was a lifestyle, and it was something I always wanted more of and more of and more of. And uh, I realized if I just put myself around people with wealth and wealthy people, since I've started doing that, I've always I've continued to excel. I mean, I live in Brickell, Miami. I live in gorgeous two-bedroom condo that overlooks Biscayne. So I'm doing pretty well for myself. And, you know, the show for me, I was actually back scene with Bravo for a season as well, sitting in as like the, and I kind of got impressed and started it. And uh, I wouldn't say Australia hurt me. I love the hate on the internet. It doesn't bother me. It's kind of like fuel, but uh, it's been definitely been a wild ride the last year and a half. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> listen, I would think, you broke up a little. Um, I think what you said is you, you got something, something with Bravo. You got sucked in. I, I don't know how you led into it, but what I took away is that the controversy gave a certain exposure and a certain view of, of someone that people assume you are. So it, it's, For sure. been, it's been, it must've been a mental struggle. But, uh, no, but I don't let like shallow comments and, likes from social media platforms influence my day-to-day -day or my life like i think it's the most shallow thing for people to you know there's people on the internet that have their blue check mark that from and everything is about how many likes did i get how many comments yeah you know what i'm like fuck that well like fuck that like that your comment is for the, the time you're taking to go and comment right just shows that to me where your life's at so so how did you get the show originally? So it's funny. So I was kind of getting into it earlier. I moved to Maine. Um, that was probably 2014. And I was running a restaurant called The Gothic. It's a plant-based vegan restaurant, Belfast, Maine, by a gentleman named Matthew Kenny. who's based out of California, and he's doing very well for himself. Multiple restaurants. He's global. 
you know, he's another cunt. He's, he's all over. That was my start. Now we had this place called Front Street Shipyard. It's a bigger shipyard now. They were doing a lot of promo to try to get boats up from down south to come in for their another seasonal maintenance. They had a big sailboat come in. The crew from that was very regular at my bar. So I got to know them, Natasha, Matt. Like, I got to know these guys and these girls. And that was kind of what sparked my interest in yachting. And then uh, upon leaving Matthew Kenny's company, I had moved up to Bar Harbor, Maine, and I was running Ocean Properties. I was one of the, the chefs for Ocean Properties, running La Bella Vita. It was a big Italian restaurant. And then Maine were only open for the, you know, the season. So they would uh, transport me down to South Florida and uh, to work in some of the hotels and properties down there and oversee things. And I kind of, after two years of doing that, I kind of got hooked up on a private estate. And uh, I kind of left the company, went that route, gentleman owned the boat. And then from there, it was game over. And uh, I've been on boats ever since. So I, I did have about a year and a half off in between. And I moved up to Nashville. And I uh, was running some restaurants in Nashville. But uh, ultimately, I missed the water. I need to see the water. I need to be on the water. It needs to be an Was there an open calling for below deck, uh, looking for people like you? Or did they s- seek you out? I, I mean... They cold call people as well. I was already familiar with a few of the casting agents. Uh, my ex was on the show as well. Good, hot, nice hottie. Uh, Elizabeth, she was a great person. And, uh, she was on it first. And I kind of just, you know, when I moved to Maine, that show had just come out, which is funny. So 10 years. And uh, yeah, it, it kind of just fell into place. It really wasn't much work. They're kind of desperate, to be honest with you, because a lot of people think it'll kill your career. Wow. Um, I mean, that kind of reality show is, uh, it's all about the conflict, man. There is no show. It is. It's, it's bullshit. Uh, you know, I saw last week somebody had put out, you know, the amount of hours. So look at it. This we're filmed for two months, 60 plus days, 24 hours a day. And you end up with 45 minutes of airtime through the whole season. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of wiggle room. And I mean, it's a television show. You got to draw people in. Like, so yeah. I knew what I signed up for. So yeah. whatever they did to me wasn't going to bother me. But it does affect a lot of people, unfortunately. So while you went through it, before it was like, it doesn't come out for like eight months to a year after it wraps. So it was about a year. It was about a year. It was about a year. So did you have any feelings of this is weird? This isn't going well? I mean, I knew they were going to set me up as they did. This this girl, Asia, was just, you know, she we weren't compatible. Okay. <laughs> and it definitely, she opened up with some asshole remark, like, what kind of person are you? And I was just like, you know, well, don't be stupid. So then they just spun that as I'm this arrogant asshole. But, hey, it is what it is. You know, there's a lot of accolades that weren't that weren't shown, mm-hmm. and there were a lot that were, but they just viewers tend to just look past. <laughs> yeah, they also make the clients look pretty bad. Like I, that was the one thing about the show for me. I always wondered why would anyone want to go on this thing as as a client? They really yeah. look like buffoons, man. I mean, I'm up in the running to be a client. It's kind of the goal is mine to go back. <laughs> uh, we're looking like that might happen. No shit. For sure. I kind of just want to be that guy now. Not the asshole, but just to go back like, fuck y'all. I can afford it. Wow. Y'all idiots. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So, uh, 
we're in the works. It's myself, it's a few other close friends that are also reality TV personalities. So yeah, I think it's going to make for some good TV. Oh, that would make for good TV for sure. That's pretty cool. But uh, I got paid well. I hustled them a little bit. I can't say that any other chef got what I got. Yeah, it was, it was purely a business deal for me. It was a business transaction. You know, it was exposure regardless. My name is still out there, whether it looks good or bad. Yeah. And uh, I helped me build my future. That's awesome. How does it differ? It, it seems like it's more of a lone wolf kind of job, whether it's on that show or any other boat. You don't have the support staff that you would normally have. No, you're looking at my boat currently now holds 10 guests and five crew members. Wow. So reality, I'm responsible for 45 meals a day. It's a lot of work. It's definitely a lot of planning. If you can't take it, it's definitely not a job for you because it's not mise. There's no mise en place. There's, there's no things in place. No, we don't have the storage. We don't have memories. We don't have wells where we have food prep ready to go so we can cook all of it. It's definitely a lot of logistics thinking from provisioning to having produce, meats, fishes, proteins, anything on the boat. It's, it's definitely hard. So you have to, you have to have a little bit of knowledge. You can't kind of just jump into this and expect to wing it. And are you pick it, picking up stuff at each port? Is that part of the planning? It is. And I try as much as I can uh, to work with some purveyors back home, uh, Miami based, uh, coming to fish that I get impacted, cry back, blast frozen. Yeah. So I'm, it's stable in my freezer for an extended period of time. So right now I'm currently packed up for two charters, an 11 day and a one week immediately following after two days. So my freezers right now are at capacity. Produce is very difficult. Obviously we get over here, there's weather windows, things like that, where we need to take the cross. So we might be here four or five, six days prior to any guests or owners coming in. Yeah. So we can't really bring produce over with us or it's, it's, it's shit in the bed before it even gets served. So it's definitely difficult, especially here in the Bahamas. I can't say as much as when you get to the islands, but provisioning, purveying, and uh, here in the Bahamas is definitely very difficult. You can fly things in. Um, we probably go up it gets questioned and, it, it can definitely be a messy situation. Absolutely. How long do you spend on these boats at a time versus on land? So I, I'm like the golden child a little bit. I've been with my clients for over two years now. They opened up a lot of opportunities for me that are kind of setting me up in my future. And yeah, man, hard work kind of pays off. So despite the impression that people have from me from television, it's the opposite. <laughs> But how many months are you there? I'm trying to figure out the balance of like, uh, how are you able to have a relationship on land and live gotcha. this kind of life? And, and also, what does that mean for the future? So for me, I'm the guy that gets to come to the boat when they're on the boat and I leave when they're off the boat. Okay. I don't I'm around for the crew. You know, I'm not around to take care of their daily needs to feed them breakfast, lunch, and dinners. I am only on, I'm paid year-round, and I'm only on the boat when I have a guest. Wow. That's an interesting setup. Yeah, I, I buttered it up a little bit, and, uh, you know, they take care of me. Right. Yeah, man, I love that. I love that uh, plan. What about five years from now? Do you, do you want to stay in the nautical industry? 
Um, in about six fr- months from now, I most likely will not be in the industry. Uh, I have a few. I have a few big projects I'm working on. Uh, I'm looking to go stateside, statewide. Uh, with a few pizzerias, I have a brand that's in the works, finalizing some agreements right now. And uh, Miami's going to be the first launch, and then I'm looking to be in three other cities within the year. So, all right, let's dive into the pizza situation. What kind of pizza are you talking about? Is it is it New York, Neapolitan? Is it Detroit? Uh, I'm a New York pizza guy, born and bred. Okay. Um, I love Detroit style pizza. I crave it. I like the light airiness. I love the brick cheese. Yeah. Uh, when it comes, I'm a New York guy. You know, a nice 72 hour ferment. I use my Samarzanos. They come down. There's there's not much of a trick when it comes to that. Good quality cheeses. Calabro, Grande. They're at the top of the game, low moistures, not a lot of oil. Uh, it's a quality product that I'm going to put out. And I think it's going to hit the maps. You're going to use an electric oven? Fuck no. Gas all day. I'm gas all day. I do like, you know, I do like coal and the wood burning, but when it gets into logistics and building codes, it's, it's a little difficult. So I will be high heat, but I will be in a deck oven. Yeah. All right. Excellent. So, I'm looking forward to that. And you're going to try to do it in multiple locations within Florida? So we're, we're going to open up in Florida. We're in talks at a few locations right now. The specs, everything are kind of set. The blueprints, the, the pitch, it's all there. And then we're going to start in Florida. And I'm looking to be in about three other states in the same year. Awesome. So, cool, man. So, I'm excited. <laughs> all right. A couple other questions. You you hinted a little bit about what growing up with your dad and uh, going to work and going to the country club and you caddy for the bookies. Yeah. Did you experience any mob relations to the pizzerias? Uh, I mean, my fa- within my father, no, but within criminal activity, yes. You know, my my dad was a straight shooter. Good man, God bless his soul. His birthday was yesterday. Yeah. Him, no. Uh, acquaintances of his, 100%. I mean, people avoiding IRS, this and that, racketeering. You know, there was Local 98, the Electricians Union in Philadelphia. I mean, one of the most corrupt organizations, I think, within the city right there alone. Our ties, uh, you know, just friends. I mean, he grew up with these people, and he was always an honest, straightforward man, but... A lot of the guys on the golf course that I saw, they were criminals, 100%. Was it possible back then to be involved in the pizza business in Philadelphia without some form of protection? Oh, 100%. You know, the best protection we had, I can definitely say in Longcrest, was definitely the dope dealers across the street. <laughs> you know, the dope dealers across the street referred to my father as Mr. Jim. You know, he could leave the, he could leave the lights on and the doors open. That He took care of them. You know, they came in and. And vice versa. But, they were well fed. Uh, they were well fed. You know, don't rob from money. Eat money or you want food, ask. And my father would definitely always be that person that would provide. But oh. yeah, he was Mr. Jim, you know, the people. They, they called him Mr. Jim. It was. This is a lesson for all you listeners that are thinking about opening up a pizza place. You, you treat the drug dealers nicely. You feed them. You treat them right. like you, human beings. They have a different yeah. job than you, but. They deserve respect. Even the homeless, even the homeless in the area, don't wait around or pull in a bogus delivery and then whack the dude over the head, which has happened a few times with our lifelong driver that 
you know, was with my father for years. He's been hit over the head quite a few times um, <laughs> for food, for the food, no money for the food. Like, you know, you're hungry. Just ask. Wow. That's great. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely some mafiosa shit when it comes down to, you know, those smaller little bodega-esque pizzerias, and, you know, corner stores. And you know, there's always something behind it. But, you know, the way I grew up, I would say no. But the things I was around, I definitely saw some shady shit. Yeah, man. Now, being a guy who prepares food for the rich and famous, I'm curious to know, as a patron, what has been one of your most memorable meals? Where was it and who was it with and what made it so memorable? So here's the thing that, you know, this, this show portrays white love shit. That shit's gone. White love service is fucking out. Clients want what they want. I have clients that come on and want wings, chicken, cheese, like nothing. They don't need this bougie fucking food. And a lot of people can't adapt to this. You know, we got a lot of new money in this industry. Not everybody is old with this certain level of class that needs to get hit. Like, people don't want that. They're normal people these days that are coming on these yachts. They want normal food. They want a fucking egg sandwich in the morning. They want, you know, a turkey club for lunch. They just want a filet with mashed potatoes for dinner. It's not. Right. It's, it's, it's really not this, like, bougie bullshit. For the most part, the, the most high-end thing I've had to do lately was actually for a broker show here in the Bahamas a week and a half ago. And I did some handmade agnolotis with English pea, like a truffle filling. Uh, it was like a Vicento broth. So it was a sweet wine with like crispy shallots. It got done up with some nice garnished blanched peas and all different flowers and things like that. We did a dessert. It was like lemon on lemon on lemon. So it was a lemon curd with a lemon bay and it preserved lemon and you know, that was probably the, the most bougie thing I had to do because I also had to impress brokers that are in return going to sell this boat for my clients. But honestly, that was the most intricate food I've had to do in a long time. But what about you? Like, forget about working, right? What about you in the world as someone who had a meal somewhere? Okay. What, what was your most memorable meal that you ate? And why was it so memorable? Philadelphia, Michael Samanov, Zahav. Number one, he's a close friend of the family. Number two, he was a big part of me leaving Philadelphia, moving to Maine. And number three, I know where the guy came from, and I know what he's doing right now. And it's probably the best food in the country still to this day. Middle Eastern, Mediterranean, that fucking roast lamb with this pomegranate molasses, fucking crispy rice is probably the best thing I've eaten in a long time. All right. I'm going to take a trip <laughs> down to Philly soon. I've been meaning to because they are a great food town. Like to check out the Dude, scene. It's, in it. it's probably the it's one hundred percent the top three in the country and to the cities in my eyes, and I would definitely place it one or two. One hundred percent. I mean, is Chicago some, in there? Chicago is up there. Chicago, San Fran, Philly, or my New York to me is so far gone. It's so out. You're I kind of agree, people. man. I, I and, and I don't know if it's just because I've been around it so long, but like even Los Angeles has a great food scene now. I love exploring those restaurants. It's it's definitely up. Um, New York is just a, it's its own beast. Miami, believe it or not, had a lot of growth over the pandemic, and that's because these people were moving out of New York because it's, yeah, you know, New York was like being in prison. Yeah, and uh, we grew up. We grew. We had like a hundred and thirty something odd restaurants open up during COVID. 
we had more people transition into Florida than any other city. It's because our governor let us live our way. And yeah. I mean, that's the why. And, but when it comes to New York food, you know, yeah, you could be like a name like Tao, but you know, you go there and you party. That's a party spot, pop bottles. It's not really the food scene. You still have 11th Medicine Park, but you're on a different scale there. You're on a different level, you know, and uh, a lot of these young chefs, you know, one bad review in New York would end your career. So a lot of these young guys were kind of moving to Philly and opening up restaurants. Yeah. So, Philly's at its peak, and I think uh, it's ultimately my end goal is definitely being back there full time. My family, myself. I'm the only guy outside of the city. Wow. My whole family. My dad had five sisters and a brother. You know, my mom's family. I'm the only one outside. Wow. That's amazing. It's been that since 2014. Wow. Well, listen, I appreciate you uh, carving out a little time from the Bahamas. And I look forward to hearing about all these things that ultimately happen. And uh, when you open up that pizza shop in Miami or the several that you're going to open, I'm definitely going to come try them. Dude, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, you're in the, are you in Jersey or? I'm Long Island, New York. Long Island, New York. Okay. My ex was actually Long Island. So I spent some time up there. Where was she at? Oh my God. I forget. But uh, it was a good, it's a good little town where she, my Malvern. Malvern? Yeah, isn't Malvern here? Yep. Not too far from yep. where I am. Yeah, she was in Malvern. Good um, stuff. So, there. But uh dude, Jim, I appreciate it. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, man, thank you. I really appreciate it. We'll be in touch. Talk to you soon, all right? You got it. Bye bye. Bye. This episode of Bread for the People was brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run business that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and rate and review this episode. Reviewing and rating is the most effective way to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by Milestone TV and Film. I'm your host, Jim Serpico. Blessed be the bread, everyone. Bread for the people.